0: Hey everyone, it's Alan Schimmel, DevOps.com Security Boulevard, and you're listening to another DevOps chat. Uh, We've got a really good chat lined up today. I'm happy to be joined by Eric Sheridan, who is the Chief Scientist at White Hat Security. Eric, welcome. Hey Alan, thanks for having me on. Great. Hey Eric, a lot of people listening out here are probably thinking to themselves, "Hmm, Chief Scientist, that sounds like an interesting job. Why don't you explain to our audience a little bit what you know? Kind of what is actually your role, responsibilities as a a chief scientist, and how does one actually go about becoming a chief scientist? Yeah, sure thing. So I think the first
1: thing you have to do to become a chief scientist is go buy yourself a nice little uh, lab coat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah, uh, the the title of chief scientist. Yeah, it always kind of makes me uh, makes me chuckle a little bit, um, but. I mean, in reality, what my, what I specialize in and what I help uh, customers do is uh, integrate security throughout their development process. And my specialty is very much around building the automation technologies that are needed to perform security testing that is both fast and accurate early in, in the development lifecycle. And I, you know, to someone who's looking to, I guess, get to this position or, or get to this point, um, I'll just sort of a little bit about my my background, and how I got here. I started out being a a security first. So I got into the the security industry, very much focused on network security. Then I was introduced to application security, um, but I also was a a developer at heart. So I like to build things. And so this combination of skills allowed me to to get to this point. So if you, or if one of your listeners is looking to become a quote unquote, chief scientist of, of security, having a combination of those skills and those passions will go a long way.
0: I, I I agree with that. You know what? I I think skill. I think passion for a particular role or or area is really outweighs almost everything else at some point, right? If yeah, jazz to come into work every day and and work on something you're passionate about, it's almost not work at all. Um, that that's great, Eric. I mean, uh, you know, and, and I for those listening out there who you know, in this day where we all make up titles and everything. <laughs> right. Being a chief scientist, I I think really is it's something you know you can sink your teeth into, you know what I mean? And um good for you. Thank you. So wanted to talk to you a little bit about today, you know. Well, we should also mention White Hat Security for those who, who aren't familiar. I'm gonna do this one for you, Eric. You know, white hat security was probably one of the pioneers in web application security, I'm going to guess, what, starting 12 years ago or more? Yeah. Um, You know, they really kind of pioneered the idea of do-it-yourself testing your apps uh, and and reporting and all of that. And, And, of course, they've come a long way in there, but they're still a leader in web app security. And, Eric, if I missed anything, jump ahead, jump in. Sure. Well, I, I think um, the White Hat's history is a great lead into to the topic of this
1: conversation and, and DevOps in general. Uh, White Hat Security was the first security vendor to offer security as a service, uh, whereby mm-hmm. you know at the time it was very much focused on testing websites uh, through automation in the cloud. And with the transition to the cloud and to DevOps via automation and collaboration, the value of that that proposition just increased. And so over the years, we've been expanding our offerings to include things such as scanning source code for vulnerabilities, scanning dependencies for vulnerabilities, doing this testing earlier in the development process, all with an emphasis on supporting cloud-related technologies. And so it's, it's been
0: a pretty fascinating ride. Absolutely. It really has. And, and you know, it, it's rare that you see a company stay sort of, at the forefront, especially with something as dynamic—no pun intended— <laughs> or, you know, as web application security testing and so forth. But that being said, let, let's jump in here. So, you know, Eric, you've been talking a lot recently around a, a security addendum to the twelve-factor app, and I guess. Again, for our audience and for people maybe who come more from the DevOps side of the house than security side or vice versa, we can't really talk about the security addendum to the 12-factor app until we talk about what we mean by the 12-factor app.
1: Sure. Yeah, so a few years back, there was a manifesto of sorts put out called the 12-factor app. And the the idea behind the 12-factor app was to really provide a checklist or an itemized list of considerations that developers and, and product development teams should evaluate when building their software for the cloud. And over the years, it, it gained a lot of traction, it influenced a lot of design patterns, and has provided a lot of benefits uh, with, with cloud adoption uh, in general. At White Hat, uh, and in my, my view, we've seen a lot of our customers adopt elements of the 12-factor app as they build their software and it's allowed them to excel in that in that (laughs) development uh, and achieve the the more uh, functional goals but along the way we noticed some some interesting security considerations that uh, were not factored in uh, pun intended uh, to their to their efforts and what we've done is having worked with these customers over the years, we've tried to consolidate some of the observations that we've had into a list. And, you know, there was an internal debate as to how to manage these recommendations. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, we we were thinking, okay, do we have another, you know, top 10 list of things to do? You know, does does everyone really need another top 10 list? And, and we, we felt like that was the wrong approach. Um, and instead, what we did is we looked at the 12-factor app and a concept and said, you know, they, they, the folks who wrote this, they hit the nail on the head. It's a great thing for developers. What we in the security industry need to do is sort of bend and mold our recommendations to fit in the developer's world. So rather than coming up with a new list, what we tried to do is come come up with a set of recommendations that are security-centric for each of those 12 factors, uh, and, and which would be served very much as an addendum to the twelve factor app, and this is what we 've been putting together what we 've been discussing and presenting over the past uh, i 'd say uh, several months now and we 've gotten a lot of positive feedback from the folks that have have listened in and so uh, you know, we see this as a really great opportunity to to vocalize security consideration in a context that development teams
0: and product teams understand i, 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 I understood. It. Eric, I have to apologize. I'm getting that little bell thing on my Mac, and I'm, I don't know how to shut it off. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I spend a lot of time with, Eric, is talking to non-security team folks, developers. Well, we're all security folks at some level, but, you know, not people who are traditionally part of the security team. Developers and and. And, and ops people and QA people and architects as well as executives. And you know this concept of a security addendum, of adding security to their normal operating procedures is something that I think we're in a, a state of flux. Some people embrace it and some people still resist it. And I'm wondering kind of what you what you're seeing in trying to, you know, for lack of a better word, evangelize this sort of thought pattern in, in the market. Sure, uh,
1: so yeah, with respect to resistance, anytime you get into resistance, there tends to be, uh, it tends to stem from culture uh, and, and perhaps diplomatic issues within an organization, depending on its size. And so a lot of times when I encounter resistance, there is not a good sense of collaboration between the security team and the development team. And, you know, sort of thinking DevOps at a high level, collaboration is one of the key tenants. And so when those organizations are going through that process of adopting DevOps or adopting a 12-factor app to move their stuff into the cloud, that collaboration becomes more important, which is good because it facilitates the dialogue. Now to work through the resistance, what I try to do and I, honestly, this actually would work in personal relationships too. You stick to the facts, uh, stick to data points and try not to take anything personal and, and just you know, walk into the discussion with the assumption that everybody wants to make things better. And one of the data points I really like to discuss and then I'm, I'm you know, plug, uh, pulling from our white hat stats report is the improvements that you see when you integrate security early in the development process. There's a pretty uh, scary statistics in a report that says only 50, uh, 56% of critical vulnerabilities are being remediated late in development. So this is at the point when, when something's already been uh, in, either in staging or is in production. So out of, a, you know let's say 100 critical vulnerabilities, only fix, 56 of them are getting remediated. When you take into account the severity of that, that's scary. However, when there is collaboration, when you can work through uh, that resistance, we've seen actually a 50% drop in vulnerabilities uh, that are found in production when you integrate security automation and technologies early in the development process. In addition, we find that there's a 25% uh, faster uh, time-to-fix improvement. So development teams are actually able to respond and fix things earlier. So I, I try to use stats like that to really grab the attention, that there are tangible, measurable benefits. Uh, and, and these are good reasons why we should ease up on that resistance. And then, of course, the, the challenge is once you get their attention and, they, and you realize uh, that and the, the folks on the other side of the table realize that there's value in where you want to be, where you want to get to, then you just we have to plan out that journey to get there. And that's where you know technical capabilities, automation, collaboration, accuracy, speed, all of that stuff becomes uh vitally important. But uh yeah, I try to stick I try to stick the, the, the data points to work through that resistance. And just one of them happens to be the, the vulnerability uh reduction early um when you do security testing early development. Sure.
0: Sure. Um and, and you know. Eric, I mean, I didn't have the luxury of, of the White Hat report. And we should mention, where, where can people get that report? Sure. Actually, if you go to whitehatsec.com, uh, right on
1: the, the main page, there's a registration form to sign up, uh, get an email, you'll get a PDF copy. Um, and, and it's, it's great. Uh, a, lot of what's, uh, a lot of the statistics that are found in that report helped us in formulating um, the recommendations in the security addendum to the 12-factor app. Uh, just to cite a couple examples, um, the, the second factor in the 12-Factor app focuses on management of third-party dependencies. If you look at our stats report, you'll see that 21% of all the vulnerabilities that we find are a result of vulnerable third-party dependencies or components. And so that, that's, a, that's sort of a scary stat, and that means that's something we need to focus on. Well, if you look at the security addendum to the 12-factor app, and looking at second factor, there's guidance on how to manage dependencies, identify those vulnerable third-party libraries and dependencies, and work through mitigating them. Another um, interesting stat that I'll throw out to your listeners uh, is around services. So there's been a pretty substantial uh, migration in development architectures towards microservices, and this is very much in line with the, the original 12-factor app. In fact, the, the fourth factor is around uh, this concept of backing services. And what, what we tried to do is get a sense of whether or not microservices are, are improving the security or degrading the security based on the measurements that we can capture. And we actually found that if you take 100,000 lines of code of a monolith application, and compare it to a 100,000 lines of code of a microservice application, the monolith had on average 39 vulnerabilities. The microservice had on average 180 vulnerabilities. So the number of vulnerabilities that we're seeing in microservices, for example, is drastically higher. And we have a lots of reasoning and thoughts around that captured in the stats report. But to your listeners and to those developers out there that are building and managing microservices, I would recommend checking out the, uh, the the fourth factor in the security addendum to the twelve-factor app, which very much talks about uh, strategies and things you can do to reduce the risks when interfacing with with third-party backing services like a microservice.
0: Agreed. And you know what, Eric, I, I I'm going to tell you that everything you're telling me, number one, feels right based upon my own, you know, maybe more subjective evaluation but but more importantly kind of jives with other studies and and surveys that i've seen and we've done here at at devops.com and security boulevard so i i I don't think it's you know i there's, there's no reason to doubt any of those things you know the message though is is one that's more overarching you know at rsa this year Eric, i think for the fifth Fifth year, we're going to be doing DevSecOps Days, the Monday of RSA Conference Week. And every year, we we talk about this very similar thing. You know, what are the advantages of shifting security left? What are the advantages of doing security early in the development process, of adding security in there? And and these are the same sorts of, of numbers that we keep reciting and reciting and 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 forgive me for soapboxing but i've almost come to the conclusion that we need to convince the security people as much as we need to convince the developers of of how important this is and why they absolutely positively must do it
1: yeah i i think that's that's a fair observation and is is very much consistent with with what we're seeing and so, you know, if I put my sales and marketing hat on just for a moment, and it's a very um, poor hat, by the way, uh, we actively have to uh, communicate this effectively, not only to development teams, but security teams. Development teams are the primary users of the, the, the security best practices that we often talk about because they're building the software. But the, the folks in the security teams are very much uh, the stewards of security within that organization. They're, they're the champions. And when those development teams have questions or comments or concerns, they're going to go to those security folks for guidance, as, as well they should, in my opinion. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of security folks, um, you know, have an opportunity for uh, personal growth, if you will, to explore the security of software, of applications, and what that means for their business. And uh, from an attacker's perspective, applications are a very juicy target. And you see that with all the numbers, any, any stats report from any organization is showing that the, the attacks against applications are consistently rising. And there, I think to your point, there, there is a need to continue to encourage folks and security teams to, you know, lo- look at this with a sharper, or sharper eye um, as they're planning out their security programs. I think there's a lot of emphasis on, on sort of uh, classic uh, network security protections. And uh, I, 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 I don't dismiss the value of those at all, uh, but I think there's just, there's just more, unfortunately for the security folks, they have more on their plate now. As the software is getting attacked, they now have to consider the application. Um, it's, not, it's not the connections uh, that are actively being attacked. It's as much as it is the, these code that developers are writing. And uh, it takes a very different mindset.
0: Agreed, agreed. Eric, what do you, you know, let, okay, so now we've got the security addendum to 12-factor app. What's next? I think it's going to take
1: some time uh, for organizations to adopt many of the factors uh, in the 12-factor app. But I think what we are seeing is, uh, over time, less resistance, resistance from uh, organizations and teams that are move, shifting towards uh, sort of DevOps related mentalities, where uh, the development team and product teams are more open to integrating secured security earlier in the development process. And the, the security addendum to the 12 factor app really provides guidance on things that they can do to, to help with that effort. But I, I believe, uh, and actually I'm, I'm seeing this today in general, I believe the biggest challenge uh, that DevOps, cloud computing, uh, agile, all of these things, the biggest challenge that all these things are presenting is to the security teams. And so what I'm seeing is an increased demand for extremely fast and extremely accurate security testing so it can be 100% automated and integrated within build pipelines, within development pipelines, so that developers and product teams only get notified when things break. Uh, Historically, that has not been the mentality of security teams. It's been very much sort of assessment-oriented or pen test-oriented or one-time scanning-oriented. And so the the big challenges we're going to see and the evolution that we're going to see is is largely in the security field and the the tooling and technologies uh, that are built. But I think if the security teams and the security industry is responsive to that challenge and building out fast, accurate, uh, 100% automated solutions that are easy to use, uh, I think we stand a real chance uh, to change uh, some of these, these, these statistics that I've been throwing out with respect to vulnerabilities and how long they, they linger. Um, and I also think it will help with the resistance that you correctly called out earlier in our
0: conversation. Got it. Hey, Michael, as, as I mentioned when we started, the time here goes. So did I say, Michael, I'm, I'm in a different world today. I apologize. All right. Time goes so quick here when we started. Uh, it's, it's past 20 minutes already, and we've got to call it a wrap on this one. But you know what? It, it's the end of the year. Let, let's get this under our belt. Prior to RSA, let's revisit again. And do a little deeper dive if we can. Maybe we could pick what you think are the three most important kind of uh, addendums to the 12-factor app, and, and we could just focus in on those two or three of them.
1: Uh, that sounds great, and uh, I appreciate you having me on your podcast. It is an honor, and I look forward
0: to uh, diving deeper with you. Fantastic, Eric. Hey, Eric Sheridan, Chief Scientist for Whitehead Security, here on DevOps Chats. This is Alan Schimmel. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And if this is this might be our last podcast before Christmas, so if so, have a merry, merry Christmas, happy holidays, happy New Year's to everyone. And we'll see you next year on DevOps Chat. Have a great day.